we had the fake ETF news from Cointelegraph. Huh. I mean, humans are ridiculous, but that's, that's what we are. This is not an easy game. Yes, 86 million millennials. Ah, Skynet and the Matrix wrapped into one. Sounds amazing. Fucking shit show. I don't believe that signal is there. Fiesta of raging markets. Then we say, I think technically it would be called a shit ton of issuance that happened then. I could stand here and record an intro telling you about all the nuance and insight that I got from my podcast today and introducing the topics, but I'm just gonna say this. This is the conversation that you need to listen to if you want to feel bullish and understand what's going on in both legacy markets and the crypto market. Every single time I sit down and talk to Raul Paul, my mind is absolutely blown and I feel absolutely optimistic about the future of our space. That's dope. Let's talk about the market a bit, because obviously a week ago, we had the fake ETF news from Cointelegraph. We had Bitcoin go 28, 30, 28, the matter of an hour. A lot of people thought, oh no, that's the top. Now we got to go down. We looked at the chart. We've got the wick. But here we are today recording on the next Monday, and it's 31,000 plus while treasury yields are at 5% on the 10-year. So can we put to bed the correlated asset argument, or is this just a temporary moment well, in time? So I think of this like an option, right? So the more the treasury yield goes up, the more we're all going, oh my God, a car crash is happening. The more the banks go down, the more the option that the Fed have to do something comes back into play. Yield curve control, right? So this is like an option play. Yes, we've got the the ETF story going on as well, but it's also, I've started, gold did the same thing. It started to suddenly shift from being fearful of rates to bring the rates up because we know what you have to do. You have to do yield curve control or you're going to have to do something to stop this because if not, you're going to blow up the banking system. So we're so still living in the upside down point. where bad news is good news and good news is bad news. It's pretty uh, absurd, to be to be <laughs> honest, to, to be living through the, through this time. But what's interesting is that people keep cheering for the rates to rise, as you said, yields to rise because they think that something will break, the Fed will pivot, liquidity will come into the system, and we'll have a yet, yet again a, a fiesta of raging markets. But when the Fed pivots, usually prices go down. That's when you actually see the stock market correct massively. And we're about to see the yield curve potentially normalize here and uninvert. Yes, but normally the yield curve, that yield curve going back to positive sloping usually has happened because they're cutting rates at the front end. But this is completely different. This is this yeah. excess spending idea and who the hell's going to buy all the bonds. And meanwhile, Janet keeps issuing them because rates keep going up. So they issue more. And everyone's like, well, this is a total fucking shit show. And you know, the Japanese did yield curve control within that. So I don't believe that signal is there. I think you know that the more the curve goes closer to zero because the long end's going up in terms of yield the more it's a sign that they're going to have to do something you know my point i've been making for a, a long time i think last time we spoke i said this is the recession got priced in last year crypto assets don't go down 80 percent the nasdaq went down 35 percent you know the long end of growth technology like arc was down 78 percent that that was the recession right so 
what we've got is markets that are forward-looking because they understand the liquidity cycles now. So that's why they're going up and have been going up. You know, I managed to participate in most of this in both crypto and in technology stocks because I knew that liquidity was coming back slowly. So even though the Fed are doing quantitative tightening oh, and yeah. the Treasury issuing, because of this drawdown in this reverse repo, all of this stuff basically means they've not been tightening liquidity for ages now. No, it's like one hand is year. punching its uh, both hands are punching uh, the face from from different sides and doing yeah. the exact opposite. It's really an incredible thing to see. And to your point, seeing the yield curve normalized because they're both going up, but one is just going up faster is not the same as it's been in the past. But man, seeing the treasury go from, you know, uh, to issuing enough treasuries that we've gone from 31 trillion debt to 33 trillion debt in a matter of months. What, does it, Is there anything they can do to stop that train? Yes. I mean, this is, I wrote this whole piece on this, which is called the everything code, which was the idea is that because there's so much debt and it needs to get refinanced every three to five years, we get this four-year cycle. The reason being is everybody reset interest rates at zero in 2009, and we've been following this four-year cycle ever since. The whole economy is following it. It happens to be the halving cycle as well. It's all the same thing. And so what I discovered, and I think I was the only person to do this, was I found out that the Fed balance sheet basically is a three-and-a-half-year lag of the interest payments that are due from the previous cycle. Now, if you think about the previous cycle, well, what was that? The pandemic. There was a, I think technically it would be called a shit ton of issuance that happened then. Slightly. <laughs> and, and so that needs to get monetized, right? And we're seeing this is early stage, but we've got like 12 trillion of this stuff to roll. Plus the new issuance, they can't, there's no way. It can't happen. So either the economy goes down the toilet. My view is the reason the Fed are so slow is because they want inflation to undershoot to give them the cover to refinance the debt. If not, they'll do what the Japanese are doing, which is yield curve control, which is buying all bonds at a fixed price. So let's say they say 5%, we'll buy any bonds you want to sell us. That is still more cowbell, more stimulus that comes into the system. There is no way of managing an economy that grows this slowly with this much debt. If you had a faster growing economy, it'll be fine. But let's say on average, to make the maths easy, let's say the economy grows at one and a half, uh, the, the trend rate of economic growth is about 1.7%. The US government is about 120% of GDP in debt. And interest rates, if they're above one and a half percent, means all the economic activity just to goes to pay the interest on the US government debt. Problem is, is the private sector. They're over 100% of GDP in debt. So who pays for that? So what's happening is the Fed are monetizing all of the government debt four years later or three and a half years later. And the private sector does its own thing. But there's just not enough GDP growth. And that's the problem. That's what we're seeing in the market. That's what's going on here. So stimulus is the only way. Yeah, so we're going to turn we're going to turn Japanese. We did ages ago, but yeah. everyone forget. Everyone goes, yeah, but we're Americans. We're amazing, or you know, the Brits are not the Brits. All of Europe turned Japanese a while ago. Yeah, you know, their economy went nowhere. The stock markets went nowhere. And everyone says, who's going to buy all these bonds? It's the Fed. Yeah, and they'll also change the rules to force the banks, which they did once, 
with Basel III and all of that. They changed it so the banks bought the bonds. When there's too much there, they'll force the pension system, which Europeans did and the Brits did. They forced the pension system to hold more bonds than equities. So we've got this aging population. You need to be more risk adverse. We'll change the pension risk rules. What it means is you're buying the bonds now. Yeah, just 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 that worked out really well for uh, the banks that collapsed a few months ago. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> and what people, what pe- what's going on here that people don't realize is this: you know, governments are a function of the money that we put into the government, taxes and other stuff. So we don't have enough taxes because the economy is too slow to pay the interest and the debt. Blah 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 blah. So what you do is debase the currency and mutualize the debt across it, the losses across everybody. And the only people, yeah, to socialize the losses. And the only people who manage to offset it are the ones who can buy scarcer assets. And the scarcer assets, so if you divide the S&P 500 by the Fed balance sheet, it's pretty much been flat since 2008. Gold, flat. Real estate, flat. There's only two assets that have actually outperformed the balance sheet, which are crypto and technology, because they're, they're both in exponential growth phases so it's actually not that complicated a world we just make it complicated on twitter uh, but you talked about the fact that the price action that we saw the drawdown of 70 80 percent of all of these assets was the recession but that's not the recession for your average person right so that's the recession for the stock market correct but that's not the recession for your average person who's paying a no. hundred dollars for some takis and tostitos yeah and i, I would argue that people are feeling the real pain. They first felt the pain from inflation. They loaded up on credit card debt. They did whatever they could to hope that went away. As we know, even though inflation may be quashed, the prices never come down. So you've lost that purchasing power. And I think people are feeling it more intensely this quarter and probably next quarter. Um, You know, I don't, I think the unemployment numbers will continue to rise. Um, You know, I don't know a single business that hasn't laid off people. I don't know people who are not finding their revenues have gone down unless you happen to be open AI or somebody. You know, most people are struggling. I mean, Elon made it very clear on his call about Tesla. It's like nobody's got any money. Yeah. And and interestingly, we've seen tech stocks do incredibly well through this period, but most of that, if you actually dig into their earnings calls and what they've done, is because they've fired people and tightened and sped less. Or not like Tesla, but Netflix, for example, and they raise their prices. They're not getting uh, new customers. They're just charging their existing customers and, more. And, and they're mainly monopolies or pretty close to it. So they have an ability to weather the storm because they've all got cash. None of them have got debts. They've got tons of cash. That cash is now earning 5% interest, which helps. They can raise prices because they're monopolies um, and they cut costs. So, yeah. No wonder they're doing okay. Yeah, treasuries are like stimulus for rich rich people. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So, yeah, poor, poor people can't uh, invest in treasuries because they need their cash, but a rich person can now park their money in a you know short-term treasury and get 5%, keep rolling it over, use it as cash when they need it. They don't care about anything. It doesn't no. affect them, like you said, and then they can uh, buy hard assets at the bottom. Yeah, and that's how, how fucked the whole system is. Is that sustainable? You seem to believe that at least for now it is. Well, find me another way that that's going to be resolved, right? Because the other side of the equation that most people don't get is people, there's a lot of like, oh, just let it all burn. 
okay, you've got 76 million baby boomers about to retire. And all the government are baby boomers. Yeah. Are you just going to destroy? That's the largest part of US wealth. So if you destroy that, you're destroying your parents' money if you're younger. Which is then your money. And that means you don't get any inheritance. Yeah. You know, it's like they're not going to do that. And they know the answer to stop that imploding is never let the value of collateral go down in a indebted economy, which is real estate, equities, all of that stuff. So what you do over time is you debase the currency. So optically, that stuff rises. So they're, they're just not going to allow that to happen because the outcome is even worse. So the problem is, is it still, it continues to make the rich richer and the poor poorer. The only way out of this equation, because we've had the zero interest rate, that was a debt jubilee, right? Nobody has to pay the interest on the debt. Great. I mean, imagine if you did that to credit card holders now are paying, what, 30% interest or whatever stupid numbers, make them up. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. So that's what all the governments did. They said, well, we don't have to pay debts anymore. We don't have to pay interest on the debts. We'll pay the debt. Well, we won't. We'll just keep rolling it. We'll never actually pay it. The only way of stopping this is economic growth needs to come back. That's really hard with an aging population because old people don't spend money. Right. And how does that happen if those people aren't working and people's income isn't going up and tech is naturally deflationary and is bringing the prices of things down and AI is replacing some jobs? Although you and I both agree that AI will probably bring more jobs, I think. Yeah, so in the end, how how, how I've thought about this is GDP growth is measured by population growth, productivity, and debt growth. We've finished the debt growth game. The population growth, well, nobody's having kids anymore because everything's so fucked, so there's no children, so you have to get productivity. But this AI thing does two things. One, it's like infinite new people, infinite new workers, infinite knowledge workers, and then the robots come, and that's infinite physical workers. So that's like infinite population. Okay, that's a really interesting concept. And that obviously leads to productivity. Why hasn't Elon Musk talked about that when he says that the uh, greatest risk to humanity is this deceleration of population and people not having kids and the population decreasing? Because because the point you just made, which I never thought about, sort of uh, disavows that entire idea. It does, but it doesn't. And Elon's right. The reason being is if we are going to replace economic growth by using infinitely scalable economic units, AI and robots, they'll become smart enough to dis- displace us. We're economically incentivized to have a crash course, a, c- yeah, a crash collision with AI. Ah, Skynet and the Matrix wrapped yeah. into one. Sounds all amazing. There. It's all, but we are incentivized to do that because we, we've broken the global economy. And the only way is having more AI and more robots, which in the end is accelerating AGI and the other issues that we face. What do you think the timeline for that is? I think it's really good for a while. For like, I'm only asking because I'm moving to the Caymans to enjoy my last days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, come over to Little Cayman because the robots are never coming there. Trust me. Um, I think it's. I think it's. We've probably got 15, 20 years of a complete boom before we have the holy shit moment of are we in control anymore? Well, it's, it's longer than I thought, baby. I can, I can work with 15 to 20 years, I think. Yeah. That's I, great. I, I'm hoping. I mean, it could, you know, at the speed that this stuff's happening, it, it could happen next week. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the velocity is really absurd. I, I want to pivot a bit to crypto outside of the macro because there's this endless debate, obviously, of whether it's correlated or whether it's not correlated and ele- escalator on the way up, but rides the elevator with everything else on the way down. It hasn't been correlated for quite a long time now. Even when it was sideways, everything else was going up and down all around it. So you could say that it was not correlated at that point. If you look at historical correlation, it's exceptionally low. But are we seeing a real moment of detachment here as Bitcoin rises? And now even in this last move, altcoins rising alongside it, which to me indicates there's actually new money this time. Um, It's not the washing machine of altcoins selling into Bitcoin, selling back into altcoins. Maybe it will be by next week. I have no idea. (laughs) But do do you think that we're really having a moment here where this could become the idiosyncratic asset class that we've believed it is from from the beginning well, it, i think it is already time. by the way but yeah. as, as you know if you zoom out and put it on a log chart it is right it does trend perfectly it's just that the the cycles within that trend when you don't put them on a log chart look horrific and most people don't have the stomach for it you and i have been around this long enough to realize the pain is part of the the risk is part of the the reward yeah you, you have to go through that to have an asset that goes up 20x um you know each cycle so I think it's been decoupled for a while, as you say. It feels that new capital is coming into the space because it's moving out of the risk curve. So we saw Bitcoin going up first part of the what I call crypto spring. So all year it was Bitcoin. And that was driven by, I think, just alts bleeding and that washing machine. But what we're starting to see is the movement towards the ETF. And that gets front running of capital from other people as well, hedge funds and others. And then eventually we got the news today that BlackRock has probably started to buy some. Who knows how much that is? But let's call it a couple hundred million bucks. Either way. So the way to think about the ETF, I think it's really useful. Here's the crypto economy. And it has been starved of new capital recently. And the ETF is a trade deal between TradFi, the TradFi economy, and this new economy. So we've just started a trade deal. Doesn't mean we're going to get the trade, but it's but it's looking like we'll start to get foreign direct investment into the crypto economy. What happens then is how I how I think about this, my mental model is, okay, so the money goes into Bitcoin first, but everybody who's been in this market has been front running it by owning Bitcoin. So then the next thing they'll go, go is, well, they're going to do the, 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 the ETH ETF next. Of course, an, and index, the money will, an index of the top 50 altcoins, right? Yeah. It, you know, it'll go to the ETH ETF, that will run. And then meanwhile, we've got other stories of things that are getting traction, Solana, Chainlink, others that are starting to rise as the capital's coming into the space and people are placing risk bets in things that they think might work in the cycle. I think that you think bigger than I do. So maybe these things don't surprise you, but never maybe in my bingo card for any time in the future would I have had every presidential candidate who's not 400 years old taking a position on Bitcoin. I understand that uh, Biden and Trump probably won't talk about it much. And Larry Fink going on national TV and calling crypto a flight to quality. In a million years, I don't know that I would have had Larry Fink saying that, especially when the market is down. Although I guess we should, Mark, when the market is down is the perfect time for him to say it, but but still. It's really interesting. You know, he, he won't say these things. He's not like Paul Tudor Jones or a hedge fund manager who can pretty much say what he wants. He controls one of the largest financial institutions on earth. 
a flight to quality tells you that you need one. Yeah, that, that that's right. He's telling you how screwed you are by calling anything a flight to quality. Yeah. And so, you know, I think it's the banking issue is the problem. Um, because, you know, everybody saw, you know, Bitcoin really started taking off when the banks were struggling. Um, I saw this firsthand in Europe back in 2012 and 13 with Cyprus. Bitcoin exploded because people understood you couldn't keep your money in the bank. And that's when I first got into the whole space. And here's it's happening in the US again. And people are like, oh, I get it now. Um, but yes, it's a really big statement for Larry Fink to say that. It's, yeah, you and I can say it all day. It makes no difference. But him, yeah, that's a deal. That's a big deal. And the presidential candidates, and we're seeing a potentially pro-crypto speaker of the House if the Republicans can actually get their shit together to put but, anyone in. I mean, we're this is main stage, man. We're not the little name is. on the flyer anymore. We're up at the top of the Coachella, right? It is. And the reason being is the Democrats, which is a very boomer-driven current cohort of leaders there, are looking after their own which is the disenfranchised boomers on the coasts. Okay, fine. But there's 86 million millennials who just don't have the same economic interests as those retirees. So I think that these, this other cohort of politicians is thinking, huh, well, there's a bunch of voters we can get behind a single issue, which yeah. I don't care if it's yet another slimy politician with another agenda, at least it's getting the right agenda. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't expect anything out of politicians. At least they can say the word I like them to say, right? Or, or talk <laughs> about the thing that I want them to. Uh, and speaking of politics and certainly not uh, political parties or who we would vote for or anything like that, which I would rather uh, stab myself in the face with this pen than talk about. But do you think that the election itself will play a major role in the market cycles next year? I mean, we 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 have some historical precedent, obviously, for what happens to markets in election years, knowing that uh, incumbents don't usually win uh, if you're in the middle of a recession or a depression and everybody's angry. Um, markets almost always go up in the presidential cycle last year. Very simply, more cowbell. Yeah. Is they want to give out money to everybody who can vote. So they, they, you know, have you noticed how many of these coincide with recessions? Um, you know, almost all of these people come in, the four-year cycle is all the kind of same bloody thing. I was going to say, so is the same Fed four-year cycle we just talked about and the Bitcoin having and the presidential election cycle effectively aligned? Essentially, yeah. Essentially is. It's all the same bloody thing. And the stimulus always comes at this point. So 2024 should be a lot of stimulus. Then the new government comes in. They produce stimulus and those seem to be the two big stimulus years we're coming through the stimulus stop shrinking year which was this year which is the the spring the macro spring or crypto spring and then we go into the summer yeah i mean i hadn't actually thought about that but yeah, it's pretty oh, much all, uh, yeah. I mean, thing. literally, like the having, if it plays out in the same way it has in the past, let's call it six months after the having, you're two months before the election. And you're two months before the election, and it might just be Biden and Trump, so you may not hear about it. But if any other candidate is there, they're going to be talking about Bitcoin all the time. Yeah, it's all, it's all the bloody same thing, which either makes it now, at some point, it will stop happening. But if it doesn't, it makes it the easiest environment we've ever been given. I mean, if it ain't broke, like a, don't try yeah. to fix it. I keep saying people, you know, I always have the having argument. And I say, if I'm wrong next time, I'll readjust. But 
I'm just going to keep doing the same thing until I'm proven wrong. Yeah. And if you've got now the understanding of why the macro does the same thing and the political cycle, it's like, well, unless something dramatic changes here, rinse and repeat seems to be the same idea. What could that dramatic event be? What what could be a big enough event to really break this cycle and, you know, send us into a black swan depression or global meltdown? You can't because you're going to print. So China but invades would, Taiwan. Would hyperinflation be the answer there, though, if you print so much that you actually well, hyperinflate? Fine, as long as we own the right assets, we'll be fine. It's what there's actually another risk, which is the opposite side of this, which is let's say we're in 2026 and rates are starting to rise and the Fed go, you know what, we're not going to do this again. We didn't need to do it last time. We screwed up, you know, blah, 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 blah. We're just going to pin yields at 3% or whatever the number is at the time. And so they just print money through the inflationary cycle. That's that's another side of the equation that I can't square away is, are we going to go through another full rate cycle again or not after they've done this? Depends how this one ends. But that's that's another kind of distribution people aren't thinking about is maybe they just don't raise rates again. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting idea. It just depends on uh, if people, you know, people always look back favorably on an X and they forget all the bad things about it and only remember the good times. Seems like the Fed does that every time. <laughs> they, they, they should have learned their uh, liquidity injection lessons in past cycles. You would have thought after 2008, anyone who lived through that, but it only took about uh, 12, 13 years for seemingly them and, to forget all the bad things and remember all the good things. And don't forget, the Bank, the Bank of England's been doing this since the 1700s. Uh, 1600s and the you know the i think it was the bank of uh the bank of holland bank of amsterdam whatever they're called at the time have been doing it even longer that was i think the world's oldest central bank they've never managed to get rid of the business cycle and people assume that you know the fed can't we can't we can't whether our system of money creates it or whether it was our agricultural cycles before or weather cycles you know it's very difficult okay so Barring that black swan, we uh, can continue with the Jubilee and we get these cycles. But it seems like in that cycle, your average person or someone in the bottom 90% or we could even call it 99 is going to just suffer more through each cycle. So if you don't have the money to buy any hard assets, what is your strategy? What can you do to survive further cycles? Well, we've of seen this? the survival technique. Uh, one was borrow more money. Which actually the purchasing power of that of that debt the cost of that debt actually goes down. And the other thing that everybody did was remove the cost of going to work by doing it from home. So we we got cost efficiencies. The other one was everybody did two or three jobs. Yeah. Which is, which is terrific. Job numbers are great, but then you dig in and it's second jobs and government jobs. And it's not people getting high paying, fresh new first jobs. And, you know, I've been talking about this for a long time. Even that Bitcoin life raft video that got viewed millions of times was, was listen, you have been given one gift. Is you can buy a fractionalized asset that you can be a billionaire or you can make $200 a week and you can put 10% of your money in it because it's fractionalized. And it's the first truly global asset that's the same for the person in Brazil as for India, as for Philadelphia. It's one asset. So that's really, really empowering for people. So there is a chance. And also, 
I've talked a lot about this before, is this is the first time the little guy gets a chance to front run the institutions. Amazing. You know, and it's yes, it's not easy, right? It's not easy. Plenty got wrecked on the route. You know, everybody told them just to hold, don't use leverage. And people don't listen. They lose their fucking minds in the middle of these things in the, of the bull market. But if they could just hold, maybe dollar cost average, don't use leverage and put it on your ledger device, your probability of success is extremely high. And then you get to front run what is now the dumb money, which is the institutions. And don't mentally plan your retirement next year based on the portfolio number at the top of the bull market or that yacht you're going to buy if it just goes up 10 times more because it has to when we're at $69,000 Bitcoin. We've all been there. Yeah, right? I've got the architect's plans in my drawer for the massive extension I had for my house. Uh, we we designed an entire house that we didn't build. That was more because rates and stuff went up so much than the uh, epic losses. But yeah, I did that. I literally have architect plans in a drawer. I seriously hope my wife does not listen to this because she'll be so angry that I reminded her or anyone else of that. But yes, uh, it, it's the same. So the answer then obviously is buy some Bitcoin, right? Because we, we we believe that you could do well. Where do all coins at this point fall into your mental model? Is it still which we've shared in the past is a sort of Bitcoin, which we can call digital gold store of value. Is everything else still a VC tech investment in your mind? Do you think that in this cycle, it could be a bit different where some actually break out of the kind of the, the same cycle where everything gets wrecked together, everything goes up together, Bitcoin sort of dictates the market? What you want to do is look at things versus Bitcoin and see where things are. Now, ETH has always been very interesting to me because me the whole down cycle, it, it didn't do the Dan 90% versus Bitcoin. Many of the existing alts do because we know it's a massive ecosystem. Also, ETH, everything changed for me when A, it got deflationary in large activity because actually the biggest activity is in a bull market. So it becomes scarcer in a bull market. That's like, okay, nobody really thought that one through. The other thing is it now has a yield. And if you think of institutions, they like things with yields. So they don't like gold because it's another yield. ETH does. So ETH has been actually my bigger bet. But I've recently been switching into Solana as my bet. Can't be mad about that. I don't know when you started recently, but I, I started. I started buying Solana in uh, last year, uh, June through till December, um, to average. And um, I just had the feeling and I looked at the chart and I saw the Solana ecosystem and you throw all the worst news possible and it's the worst Sam coin and, you know, just the... I was, I was just going to say the best argument for Solana is it isn't dead. <laughs> That's right. And then I saw people like Tolly, you know, who's Anatoly. He's just classy. Him. He's yeah. just so good. And I'm like, okay, this is really interesting. I'd met him previously and saw the kinds of people he was involved with. And they were like the heads of all of these amazing businesses. I'm like, I can't, obviously can't talk about it publicly, but like, okay, this is amazing. Um, and then I learned about, I don't know if you, have, have you gone down this fire dancer rabbit hole yet? I haven't I, really gone I, public. I mean, only very superficially. I, I have uh, not gone really but, public yeah. on it, uh, but I, I'll write some stuff out of it because I've been writing about it for the Real Vision Pro Macro people and, and for Global Macro Investor. But I hadn't even heard about it, but I went to Mainnet and there's Colleen from Brevin Howard, who's 
good friend and an amazing person. She was on stage and she was like, and, and you know, fire dancer, that's obviously a big bet that we've got that's that we think is really important. I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about, Colleen. But she knows a lot of stuff I don't know. So I'm like, okay, fine. And then Anatoly comes up and he's speaking and he starts talking about fire dancer and oh yeah, you know, it, we think it can do 600,000 to 1.2 million TPS. And that I'm like, what? And I was thinking at the time, maybe it's some sort of layer two, blah, 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 compromise. So I went back home. I was looking at the charts, which I have been for a long time of Solana versus ETH and Solana versus Bitcoin. I'm like, this looks like a fucking rocket ship. What is going on here? And so I started looking in and watching the interviews with the jump trading team who built Firedance and realized it was a separate validator for ETH actually, uh, for Solana's Solana. actually that increases the the security of the entire chain itself and that yes these speeds were right because it was being built by people who were trying to build light speed for high frequency trading and uh you know tolly's going yeah this is the real deal this is what we should have done in the first place um and i'm like okay this is huge i mean i mean that, that solves the trilemma like we've never heard of a coin where you can get better security with faster speed right no and the speed here i mean just think of the the quantum this is so we've got solana at supposedly 65000 tps we've got a layer 2 like polygon at about the same but less secure than a layer 1 okay fine this is a layer 1 of solana that does 20x so they're saying it's fast enough to run the entire securities industry twitter only runs at 24000 tps yes. So you can run all the social media, you can run high frequency trading, you can do anything. So all I think is use case. Use cases explode. Um, and it just becomes very interesting. So that's why I'm very bullish in, in all of that. I haven't gone down the fire dancer rabbit hole. I wonder when they started working on it. I've done quite a few podcasts and conversations with Tolly. And many months ago, I asked him, you know, can we do the one chain to rule them all thing? Or do we need to live in a multi-chain world with interoperability? And he very quickly said, nope, Solana can do it all. Because I have no doubt we can live in a one-chain world. We can do all of it. I'm not saying that I believe that necessarily because I don't think Ethereum is going anywhere and Bitcoin's still a chain, right? Um, and, and maybe there'll be some other winners, I think, in different niches. But That's his right. confidence that that was possible by what he saw coming is pretty, uh, we'll give you pause. Yeah, I think, you know, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a very, very big deal. Um, Chris Berniski phrased it well, the guys at Placeholder VC, that they were saying, if you think of ETH as the Android economy, so it's a big open source network that you can do lots of different things with, and Solana is more like Apple. It's like a single operating system, but a very good one. And those, you know, your Android phone can speak to your Apple phone. So, you know, it all works in the end. Yeah, and some of the massive criticism for Solana, obviously, was that it was a VC token and it was the familiar names. And of course, the Sam coin, I think a lot of that has been washed out. Uh, I don't think that that is really true at this point, even of who's holding the supply. I could be wrong, but it feels like the, there was a reckoning in the last year. Yeah, and look, I could be wrong too. It may not be the great bet. It may I may be a complete moron, and you know I'm I'm more than happy to be the moron. To me, it, you know I'm looking at risk rewards here, and I'm just thinking, could this be the ETH of this cycle? That's not taking away from ETH. It's not taking away from Bitcoin. 
what we're trying to do is, you know, if we're in this ugly economic world, you want to try and make as many chips as possible when you can. That's that's the game. Now, you could be the Bitcoin maximalist who says, I don't want to keep all the chips. I just want the chips that I want. And that's OK, too. There's no problem with those different worlds. What do you think is going to happen with the NFT market? Or let me rephrase that with the previous collections that exist from the last NFT market. I'm not talking about tokenization of real world assets. We can talk about that. PFP 10,000 collections. Do you think that they'll ride this wave as well? Or do you think that some of that is just gone? I mean, we know that some altcoins are gone. Some NFT projects are gone, the bulk, right? But yeah, I mean, look, the vast majority of that would be a zero. I think most people knew that. But out of the ashes rises the phoenix. NFTs are just an asset in the ETH economy. Assets, if you think of the stock market versus real estate, the stock market's led real estate by about 18 months. Yeah. And so what's been really interesting is the crypto cycle is the same as the economic cycle. So if I look at the cycle of Rolex watches, secondhand watches, and Patek Philippe's, exactly follow the NFT cycle. And they will turn. Why? Because everybody's been puking anything to get some cash because everybody skimps right now. So the best way is you sell some of these assets, and then eventually the assets find a base. We all start making a bit of money again. We all go out and buy the Rolex watch and the NFTs. And before you know it, we're all bidding up crypto punks again because we're feeling rich and we want to show off. I mean, humans are ridiculous, but that's that's what we are. But maybe it'll only be the punks and the apes and, I mean, yeah, and the arts seem and to and have the utility, art. but it'll be the ones that are the Patek Philippe's and the Rolexes of the NFT market. Yeah, and the generative art of the best artists. Even, but it's a very hard game. This is not an easy game. Yes, if you've got plenty of money buying some NFT projects at Lowe's right now that are super high-end, well-respected, but the only other thing is utility projects. That's very different. If you're right. buying it because you get use for it, like we got the Real Vision Collective, and with that you get a membership to Real Vision and you get to events, and do, that's a whole different thing. But the whole that's a membership it, card, which is an incredible use case. It's a membership yeah. card you pay for once and not every year, so that yeah. that's fine. But the uh, standard stuff, yeah. And somebody's going to make a fortune out of choosing the right ones, much like people bought ETH in in twenty eighteen down ninety seven and a half percent, or Solana down ninety seven and a half percent this time around. Maybe a month ago we did a crypto town hall Twitter Spaces, and it was a bunch of. NFT collectors, a bunch of the guys who had created the projects, the people you would think would have been the most bullish. Everyone on stage was a PFP and they sounded like they were at a funeral. Like even the guys who had created these collections had given up, well, it's over, it's dead. I It was the first time that I looked at this because I never really participated even in the bull market. I know that you did, right? You bought an ape, all that. I, I almost pulled the trigger like 10 times, but this was the first time when I said, oh, it's going up. Like the good stuff. The good stuff is going to rise if the guys who made the good stuff are afraid it's going to zero. This is exactly the moment the crypto market went through in November, October <laughs> last year. It's exactly the same, right? They've You've crushed everybody's hopes and dreams. What's been doubly bad is anybody... Luckily, most people don't think of NFTs in, in dollar terms. They think of them in ETH terms. But many of these things are down 80% in ETH terms. And ETH was down 70% in dollar terms. I mean, it's a 99% washout for many people. But as you say, that's when it gets really interesting. It gets really interesting when everybody's had their hope go away 
and they don't believe that anybody can do anything with this space ever again. Um, you know, I that's when I start tuning in the right people on Twitter. Um, and you know, the proper collectors of the space, the people who really see it, people like um Ovi and Mando as well, who are traders who understand markets. I just I just start tuning up the people who have a better filter. It was like in the whole collapse of uh, FTX, Chris Bernisky again at, uh, at Placeholder VCs, he's a really good follower on Twitter, was just starting to yeah. ramp up about Solana. And I'm like, this is not some rando. This is a guy who really knows his shit. And he's like, Raul, look at the amount of projects happening. So that's it's time to listen and focus, I think. I think you're right. Your radar is right in this. Yeah. Going back to Solana just slightly, you talked about the incredible speed that it will have now and what's possible there. So I think the next inevitable question that I didn't ask is, what's it going to be used for, right? So, so, so I think that we've had these previous cycles where we said, hey, this is fast enough or we can fill this block space and we just never saw the, it, it, we never saw the traction of anything, you know, really grab the mainstream and fill that block space or Ethereum we did, but uh, and see it really skyrocket or be 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 needed. So, firstly, I went on Twitter and asked when when is this happening? And again, Tolly being Tolly's first person to respond. Everyone else is like, "What the fuck's fire dancer?" I'm like, "Anybody know in the Solana community?" He's like, "Yeah, we think it's on uh, uh, test net end of this year, main net by the summer." I'm like, "Okay, this is happening quick." Um, okay. So let's go through that case with Solana in what we've just enabled. They have they cracked the NFT compression, which means that they can mint a million NFTs for a hundred bucks. Okay, now they've got a chain that is like stupid cheap and stupid fast. Those two things, to me, have the financial markets written all over them. So an NFT is just a contract that lives on chain. Every derivative, everything is a contract, and they can be all unique. But also tickets, all ticketing. When you're when you're issuing tickets like that, it's cheaper than paper tickets. Yep, it's it's cheaper literally than printing the damn things out. And so that enables a lot of use cases we've never done before. And having a chain that is this fast, if that proves to be correct, means that you can use it for exchanges which you weren't able to do before because blockchains were too slow. You need to, if you think about it, what happened, the high-frequency trading business is all about one thing. They're fighting one thing, the speed of light. So they've got fiber optic cables, and they're trying to get the information down into the exchange and back again as close to the speed of light as possible, which is why the Flash Boys book by Michael Lewis, all of these people are moving their machines closer to the actual exchange, so the all around yeah. exchange with this fat fiber optic. Okay, so that's how fast that system is. That's about the fastest use because money is incentivized to pour into the you know where you can get the most advantage. So money poured into that. So what these jump trading guys are saying is, well, we know what we're trying to do is the speed of light. So we just need to make a chain that can do that. And if we can do it, then we can do high frequency trading. And if we can do that, then it means that anything in the financial markets can be settled on chain and that that is the game the big game changer where we decouple this concentrated risk and decentralize the risk listening to you talk about it i think that maybe one of the major narratives of the next next cycle 
is going to strangely be private blockchains versus these insanely speedy and cheap blockchains like JP Morgan Onyx, right? We talk about all financial move, uh, all financial assets moving on Solana, but we've already seen BlackRock and Barclays settle a tokenized money market, which can be used for collateral on JP Morgan's Onyx platform. So you got to imagine we might be kind of at war with the big banks once again, if this gains traction. I think, but economic incentives will win. Uh, in fact, there's two incentives that I think will come through. And I think you're right, that battle will happen this time around. But then there's the other battle. One is cost. Finance will yeah. go for the cheapest place and the fastest place, and it will not be Onyx. Maybe they settle some stuff. Fine. You know, there's a multi-chain world, as we know, out there. Um, the other thing is interoperability. If Franklin Templeton builds their money market fund on ETH, or whatever they built on, I think it was ETH. I think it was built on Stellar, at least for their tokenized so, treasuries. Yeah, yeah okay. it's about 300 million AUM And now, so how does that move within the Onyx system? You know, the market will solve interoperability. And if not, it becomes a career risk for any bank that makes the wrong chain choice. Yeah, That's stupid. That shouldn't happen. It's like, well, you can't have Apple phones because we've only got Androids and they can't speak to each other. Or, well, you can't use a, um, you know, some Adele computer versus some other computer. That's nonsense. So I think they would most likely go to open blockchains in the end for these purposes. But of course, maybe the insurance industry chooses that it, it wants to create a consortia, which already has an all insurance contractor settled on their chain. Fine. But then how do we get all of the wallets to take our insurance contract? It's just, it doesn't make sense in the end. They might start that way because they're protectionists, but they're going to have to go multi-chain. I think that RWA, now it's even got a, a three-letter acronym, real-world assets. So we know that it's going to be a part of the next cycle, like NFT or, or DeFi, okay, four words, four letters. But I think that's going to be a huge narrative in the next cycle, of course, tokenizing these real-world assets. But now I wonder if this could be the one that we see the first early iterations in this cycle, and then we're that talking about this like NFTs in four years, and then we actually see it happen in the That's next exactly cycle. what was in my head when when you and I were talking. I'm like, you know what, this is going to be, we'll see the first use cases. Everybody overhypes the cycle. It then fails. The actual hype cycle comes the next time around. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, I'm willing to to wait the time, but it does, it does just sort of uh, you know, don't you forget know, echo, that. echo of these previous cycles. That's what takes the crypto space. Let's Let's say for argument's sake, it gets to 10 trillion this time around. That's the one that takes it to the 100 trillion. Because that's right. where it's total fungibility with the financial markets. And, you know, all of the assets in the financial markets, equities are like $200 trillion asset class. Bonds are like $200 trillion. So that is the one where you get the full saturation. Don't forget, within that cycle is the CBDCs as well. That's when we end up with 3 billion people using right. crypto rails. So that's all coming. So you have JP Morgan Onyx. We have Larry Fink writing in his, you know, uh, annual letter earlier, I think it was in March saying tokenization of everything. Everybody's focused on BlackRock talking about the black Bitcoin spot ETF, but he's also very clearly been talking about tokenization. You talked about Franklin Templeton, another one of the largest asset managers in the world. They've already tokenized, I think it's 300 million AUM in uh, treasury notes. And that market's a billion when you add in Maple Finance and all of these others. Do you think that these institutions are taking 
a small bet that this could be the thing? Or do you think that they're betting that this will be the thing? So I know all of these people. I know them personally. They all know it's everything. Okay. Good. But Good. firstly, I mean, and the people who are building it there are not some evil finance people. They really <laughs> care about yeah. And they really care about this space. They're in it because they truly believe in it. Um, Abigail Johnson at Fidelity truly believes in it. Um, I can't remember the lady who who uh, runs Fran- Franklin Templeton. Well, Sandy, uh, she's not doesn't run it, but not Sandy Paul there, yeah, she's incredible. Not Sandy, yeah, and who's yeah, the woman who, who owns the whole thing? Anyway, now my brain's another, not working, but yes, no, her boss. But yes, another <laughs> amazing genius. These people truly believe in it. So what they've got the issue with is regulation is slowing them down, and size of the market is still too small. It needs to be of a certain size before many of these large pools of capital can use it. It's like I've got an asset management business called Exponentialized Asset Management, and it's a fund of hedge funds. It invests in lots of different hedge funds. So the hedge fund space in the traditional markets, $4 trillion. That's why traditional markets are really deep. They've got lots of liquidity. You know, You can get shit done. The entire size of the hedge fund industry in crypto is $6 billion. I didn't know the number, but that's, yeah. And which is why retail are all of the liquidity. And, you know, in the end, we need these institutions. That will get rid of some of the volatility. Yes, it will lower the returns, but we'll get the return cycle. But we can't have such illiquid markets driven by some random trading firm out of Hong Kong or, you know, that we don't try. You know, it's like this has to stop. We need proper capital in the space. Putting that capital in the space will have a multiplier effect. So everyone's going to get rich as that capital comes in, but we need it. Does the ETF solve that partially? I mean, I'm assuming you're of the opinion that this is inevitable. I am. Uh, the way that obviously Larry Fink is out there, uh, you know, on his roadshow. I, I can't imagine he's just doing that uh, for fun or for his health. Um, do you think that that solves some of this? And then I guess as a corollary, what would you consider a successful or failed launch of the Bitcoin spot ETF at this point? So look, that's just part of the the trade agreements going to come from TradFi to crypto economy. Just as this is one of them. The, the ETH spot ETF will happen as well. Of course. It, it'll be later and everyone's going to as soon as the Bitcoin one are done, they'll front run it by going to the ETH one because they know that's the next one. We will see that. We will see, you know, the rise of the hedge fund industry, the capital coming in, the pension funds coming in. You know, um, Matt Halstead and Mike from Texas Teachers are kind of showing the way and and how that's done. So they're all coming and it will all happen over time. The Bitcoin ETF, I don't think of it as a one-off event. It's- I agree. People are thinking of it as like this liquidity injection into the crypto economy, and I'm saying it's a trade agreement. Trade agreements really start working when people are starting to get return on their capital in that new economy, and then they pile in. You know, do you remember the, you know, when people, when China started opening up and people started putting a little bit of money there? Before you knew it, you'd be in Shanghai and everybody's been posted there, being given like a billion dollars, set up set up an office for us there, figure out how to make money. Um that's what will come. So I'm less concerned about the start, but this pipe is going to be an important pipe to bring kind of RIAs and others into the space as it moves. Sounds like the having to me, right? You have this uh, event that uh, everybody's excited about, but 
nothing changes the minute that the halving happens. Although you maybe get people trading on the news, but then six months later, when you've had a proper amount of time to see that reduction in supply actually, you know, actually affect the market, then you get the price rise. And, and if you think about the halving, it's so beautifully timed last time and this time. I can't remember the previous time, but last time is like, okay, we're going to reduce the supply of Bitcoin whilst we're going to jam the maximum amount of fucking money into the system as possible. Yeah, it was like, it it was right around the COVID bottoms, you know, in spring of 2020. And then six months later, MicroStrategy bought Bitcoin, which sparked the next bull run. But we all know that was probably just that So here we are again. Here we are again, going into some liquidity, whatever that's going to look like, plus the Bitcoin spot ETF, all around the same time of the halving. It's like, you couldn't ask for a better picture. If I'm ever sad or feeling down or having my doubts, I'm just calling you, man. <laughs> Anytime. We'll just come. We'll go and have dinner at Tilly's. Watch the sun go down. The world will be okay. Uh, maybe it'll be a little less hot this time. But yes, I, I, I'm 100% down for that, man. Always uh, inspiring to speak with you. Really always a pleasure. And I love the vision and consistency. I'm hoping that uh, nothing happens in this market that shakes our confidence because we somehow survived this one. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Now, talking of survival, a couple of things I just want to get across is one thing is we've built a whole academy course for people at Real for Real Vision members. Well, for anybody, because like you, I don't like seeing people get blown up in the space. It's a risky enough space. There's a lot to learn, and it was really important that we put something together that really helped people. We've already got the Real Vision Academy, which is for traditional market trading, right? And that's helped thousands of people. We've just built the Real Vision Crypto Academy, and it's actually hosted by Ovi and Mando because they're both traditional market traders who know their stuff, but they're also complete NFT, mean coin degens, and great crypto traders, and they get it. So I had you had you guys had me on the uh, the festival with Ovi, and the topic was worst like mistakes I ever made in crypto. I think the word shit was in there somewhere. The, the worst, the most shitty, shittiest decisions I ever made in crypto. And man, he and I could really go back and forth for a long time. We could have, <laughs> the two of us could have extended that one five hours. I didn't even know him before that, but, but he's awesome. Yeah. So, so that's coming out. So um, we've got enough for, for, for your audience there. Cause look, you need to educate yourself. You've heard 100%. us talk about the opportunities, you know, Scott and I've gone through the school of hard knocks I came from a TradFi background, so I did have experience in it, but it's still not easy. So gift yourself an education. Go and do it. It's not that expensive. It's like 350 bucks, but it'll change your life. All we want for everybody is to survive. We want you to prosper and not blow up. It's, is that available me, now? Really is it available? Yeah, is it- Realvision.com forward slash Wolf of All Streets. Um, it's all there. So just do that. And the other thing is I've also just started a new YouTube channel. So it's called Ral Pal, the Journeyman, uh, and I've just got some really cool interviews there. So How do you like go. it? How do you like uh, YouTubing? Well, we already did it anyway. I know. Well, for, no, yeah. really, it was Real Vision content that went onto that. Yeah. But this yeah. way, it's good for me. It's just because all the others were lots of different Real Vision interviews plus me. I just wanted to give people what they wanted, which was and what I wanted, which was I just want to interview whoever the hell I want about whatever the hell I want. Welcome to my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that's what I do. Anything else we should know about the Real Visions building? No, that's enough for now. This, we're doing plenty of stuff, but look, get yourself the education, the uh, 
that whole crypto academy is, is really worthwhile. And if you want to have some more fun, come over to uh, Ralph L, the journeyman and, and watch me talk nonsense with a lot of interesting people. Well, man, thank you so much once again for your time. Uh, we got to do this more often. We sat down no, and we said, we hey, man, figure- we, we said, hey, man, there's probably an opportunity for two guys like us and a couple other people to build something or do something more regular. And then I got ADD and I two months passed and you know how my brain works. So we got to do something. I know. These conversations always, are just amazing to me. It's always great fun when we get together. So anyway, right. so anybody watching this, you got ideas what we should be doing together? Let us know. <laughs> so, send us a message, man. Thank you so much. Uh, have a great day. All right. Take care. Let's do